Turn with me to uh, Philippians chapter 3, if you would. Again, I, I encourage you, please, uh, check your bulletins out and get those dates figured out. You know, we have some pretty exciting things coming up. Hanukkah is coming up again this year. We're excited about that. And we're going we're gonna to celebrate Israeli folk dancing. We're going to have dinner together. Uh, we're going to... Uh, you know, we're going to have amazing uh, Hanukkah dessert. You remember what Hanukkah dessert is? Jelly donuts. <laughs> so lots of jelly donuts, lots of chocolate. We'll have the dreidel game. We're going to have just this whole, this is going to be just, you know, we, we enjoyed it last year. It's going to be even better this year. So we're excited about that. It's going to be a, an amazing time. You know, the church today, um, I believe, has one of the greatest opportunities, and you you hear me say this occasionally, and I, I just I want us to remember, you know, in the midst of everything that we face with elections, and we hear about economics, we hear about the politics, and all the things that are going on, you know, what would bring real change? What would be a great influence? What would be a great motivator? And I'm still convinced that we, as believers in Jesus, are in the very best place to bring about change in our community, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, wherever we might go, we have an opportunity unlike. And I believe something is shifting, and I believe we're moving into a season unlike any season that we've seen in a while. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to unfold, but I know when I look back at where we have been, and let me tell you what I'm concerned about. We talk a lot about what's happening in the church. Someone suggested the church in terms of its uh, view and, and how it's living life has gone backwards. Almost someone said it's like the churches of the 1940s again. And somehow we've gone back, and they, in this article I was reading, it was really interesting. It was talking about how there were some parallels to the church of the, of the 40s. And, and I, I have some agreement to what the author was writing. But there's something else that has occurred to me as I look at so many different things and I'm talking to people and seeing what's going on that however you might frame it, there's something I've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed that the church today is becoming more secular. I'm seeing the secularization of the church where we're supposed to be a sacred, uh, you know, for us, a spirit-filled, spiritful, spirit-led place. I am watching what I believe is the invasion of a secular mindset in the church. And I think we see that in terms of how we view church, that it's becoming more viewed really in that secular mindset in terms of, you know, our attendance, our loyalty, our commitments. You know, I, for example, I mean, it was interesting how decisions are being made. I'm thinking about Christmas. So for us, you know, we have made some decisions. We're going to obviously have candlelight services on Saturday at 4.30 and 7, just so you know. And then we're having Sunday service a family service, uh, because Christmas this year, I mean, I can't believe it's almost here, but it is, is on a Sunday. And I've, I, it's interesting the conversation that I've engaged with with others about, do we or should we have church? I mean, I can't imagine, because in the history of the church, and I've been doing this for a while, I've not heard those, you know, when a, if, a, if a holiday fell on a Sunday, and this happens about every, I think, seven or eight years, we run into Christmas, 
I mean, it's happened before, and not once have I really heard that discussion. We've maybe modified things a little bit, but it's like, of course you go to church on Sunday. I mean, I mean, we're celebrating the birth of Christ, so, I mean, we ought to show up at church, right? Um, but there's a lot of conversation right now, and I'm hearing of places that are canceling all their services, so they're doing candlelight, and they're saying, well, in lieu of, we'll do the candlelight services. And, and, and I get what they're saying. I mean, they, I understand it, but that's what I mean by secularization. Because what they're doing is they're giving in to a secular viewpoint, a world viewpoint of, you know, doing stuff. And I get it. Family's important. Of course family's important. It doesn't mean you're not going to do family stuff. doesn't mean you're not going to have Christmas tree and, and all the kinds of things that we enjoy. But the point of Christmas is Jesus. And so I'm struggling with how do you cancel a service and make a decision. Sunday is a big day for us. And we only have 52, we only have 52 of them. And you guys are already gone at least two weeks on vacation. So that only gives me 50. And then we start knocking them down because of holidays. I mean, Sunday's valuable. And I think it's so critical. And I want you to begin to think about that with me as we have these conversations, as we think about, Lord, what are you doing and what's happening? EMC Squared has been an amazing journey that we've shared together. And we're coming to an end and getting ready to transition. I'm looking forward to our transition because next week we start Advent and we're going to talk about, and I'm framing the series, the best, the best Christmas ever. Can you say amen to that? And we're going to talk about the best Christmas ever. And uh, I think you can see the connection with that. But I wanted one more time to get a chance. We've talked about evangelism, maturity. I want to talk about community again. I want you and I to understand that we are citizens of heaven. And what that means. Because as we kind of come to this conclusion, kind of wrap things up, I want to reemphasize the importance of being a community and what that means. Because once again, we are struggling. We are in a battle, let me say, a war in terms of what's going to happen with the church and what's in fact taking place. And because of that, community is even more important. I am I'm, I'm hearing people say, I need community. I want community. It's valuable. But I'm not sure we're quite getting it or understanding it. And yet, what I see is an ongoing struggle. I see an ongoing struggle for us to get into the community. And once again, I see secularization taking place. And so what we do is we're now substituting church and community for things like Facebook, Instagram, uh, you know, texting, and all these things are now becoming our community. And you've heard me say this, there's no way you can have community unless we breathe the same air together. And unless we're in, the, in that confinement where we're breathing the same air, I think, when well, I know that the church is in trouble. So sharing air is very important. I really believe that uh, you and I sharing air and understanding that you know, one of the things I enjoy doing, and any chance I can get, I always want to bring my dive gear into the, into the church here. So uh, a lot of you know I, I, I do enjoy diving. So you know where I'm going after church. I'm going out to lunch, actually. <laughs> but uh, but uh, so I brought my, my what's called a uh, buoyancy compensator device. I got my regulators. I've got my tank here. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that some of you know that I do enjoy diving, and I'm a dive instructor, so I very part-time occasionally will teach uh, people how to dive and go underwater, and it's so cool. Matter of fact, just two weeks ago, we were diving in a cenote, and a cenote is a cave. Uh, 
So we went down into a cave, amazing, like 300 feet visibility. And, you know, when you do cave diving, there's a lot more to it than just this, but it's just what an amazing, uh, fun time we had. And uh, it was just so great to get in there and to see uh, all the stalactites and the stalagmites and all that was going on there. So diving is just, you know, there's so much in the world to see. But one of the things you learn when you go diving is safety and the importance of doing things right. You know, it's interesting, because because of what I do, I've had a chance to be involved in some of the diving accidents that occur occasionally, and we have what's called the forensics. And I'm not, you're showing that a little prematurely, so I'm not there yet. Close to your mouth. So Making no sure sound. It is positioned. Go ahead and cut it. Just cut it. That'd be great. So you're going to be distracted. Go ahead and just turn it off, would you? Thanks. Okay. So, so the thing is with accidents and things, when you, when you do... Uh, get involved in doing the forensics, you know, so what happened? There's something I've learned uh, in diving that um, the only time an accident has happened is when people have done a couple things. Number one, they violated boundaries. Number two, they violated uh, their abilities. So what happens is is that you get into a situation where uh, you you don't stay within your capabilities. Number two, you violate boundaries. And here's number three. This is what's amazing to me. Not... In every accident I've seen, every diver was diving alone. Didn't have their dive buddy. Or if the dive buddy was there, they were someplace a long way away. And so it's kind of interesting when you think about it. You know, one of the things we learn is sharing air. Sharing air is a very big deal. And when you share air, you have uh, a number of things that are really important. I have here, these are my regulators, I have three regulators. And this is a regulator. It's also uh, what is used to fill the air in the BC. This is my regulator, and this is a backup. And a lot of times, when you, when you talk about sharing air, um, it's possible to run out of air. I've had a couple students do that. Can you imagine that? So, you know, you get so excited, you're having so much fun, and all of a sudden, you know, the student does, and there's no air there. And I had that happen, oh, probably about a year or so ago. It doesn't happen very often. But I was, I was with a student, and all of a sudden, he had no more air. You know, I would have I loved to have, have a picture of his face at that moment. He was a little bit nervous. And we were at 55 feet. So at 55 feet, you just don't want to shoot up real quick. So I could tell he looked at me like, help. And I had help because I handed him one of my regulators. And now, when I said I handed it to him, truth be told, I stuffed it in his mouth. <laughs> Um, he was a little bit nervous at that moment, but I still remember I, I, I put it, I took his, his regular out because he left it like it was supposed to, and I put this in, and I still remember that first breath. I can still remember the, and he looked at me, and his whole face changed. We became buddies. <laughs> you know, Helping someone in a crisis moment like that is a great way to have relationship. <laughs> but you might think, and a lot of people take the mistaken notion that these regulators are for me like a redundant system. So in case one fails, I got some other choices. In actuality, although they could be used for that purpose, these are actually used more for the other diver. Because what this provides is a backup for when my dive buddy might have a problem, I can provide them with a regulator. And any diver will dive with at least two regulators. I dive with three. 
because I like having friends. <laughs> I've noticed that this parallels the life of the church. Because I was thinking about this, and I wanted you to make a connection here, that in the same way I can provide emergency air to someone in need, we do the same thing with Jesus. We breathe, we bring the air of life into situations when people are in a panic. And the thing that I believe is that we are equipped and trained to do that. Or are we? You know, one of the very valuable things is that we all have giftings and talents, and I believe in this room is an amazing group of individuals, because I really do believe that you are an amazing group. And you have the capability of doing life-saving things for the world around you. But we ought to be ready to move in that way, understand the value of being a community, because here's what can happen. People occasionally run out of air. People occasionally make a mistake. You know, I've seen people uh, make and forget to get their equipment serviced or make sure it's clean and make sure everything is done well. As a result, things can happen. And, and sometimes people just don't think the right way. But thank God there's people around. See, when, when you go diving, it's interesting that when you first start as a diver, you're very dependent. So I, my students are very dependent on me. And so we work very closely together. I, they are never outside of my reach. And slowly as they learn, as they grow, as they're trained, they slowly can move away. Not too far away, but a little bit farther away. So that eventually we become interdependent with each other. That's why we call ourselves dive buddies. What we don't want is for them to become so independent that they move so far away that they act like they don't need anybody. And again, when you get to that place, unless you are really certain of what you're doing, and very few are, now you put yourself into a dangerous place. Don't you see how we do the same thing as a church? I mean, Scripture tells us in Ephesians, it says two can accomplish more than twice as much as one, for the results can be much better. If one falls, the other pulls him up. But if a man falls when he is alone, what does that say? Say it again. He's in trouble. One more time. He's in trouble. What a great, this, this ought to be something we post in the dive shop. You know, the idea of the scripture applies throughout because we are stronger when we share air. And when you begin to think about what can happen, the times we get in trouble is the times when we get ourselves into an isolated position. That's when it's really dangerous. Let me tell you, isolation, I believe, is the enemy to the church today. When I think about it, it can literally kill it can suffocate and kill healthy believers. You know, I see this once again so often. This is why community is so important. Because we need to understand that we need to share air together. We need to be together. We need to come together as the body of Christ. Now, you've got to understand, when I'm referencing this concept of community and sharing air, I'm not just talking about us being in the same room. Let me qualify this for you, because a lot of times I think we think we're doing community because we show up in, in a room like this, or we go to, let's say, a Bible study, or we go to a small group, all of which is where community can happen. What I'm talking about, what we'll see in a moment as the Apostle Paul addresses, community is about entering into conversation, realizing that we interact, we talk about life, 
We talk about how you know, decisions we're going to make. We talk about what we might be thinking and feeling. We might talk about things that are... We open our life up to one another in such a way that we gain wisdom and we gain maybe some experience. We, we gain some of the common sense, the biblical understanding of events and situations that I believe doesn't happen very often. See, I see us fooling ourselves and eluding and creating, if you will, a myth that we think we're doing community because we do activities, because we show up and do something. Now, I think doing something is great. I think it's absolutely amazing when we get to do stuff together. But that doesn't mean we've had community. It means we've done something cool. It's like when we go to the elementary school. We did something together that was absolutely crazy good. And we've testified and we've spoken into a community. And I love what we've done. But have we had community? I'll tell you when community happened. is when we sat down at lunchtime and we had a conversation. How are you doing? What is life like? How's your family going? And then the individual opened up as we were eating lunch. Because I still remember by the swing set, we, a bunch of us gathered and we started to have community. That's what I'm talking about. But here what I see is taking place in the church today is that we are substituting so many other things and we are, if you will, deceiving ourselves into thinking that we are a community. The other thing I hear often too is that a lot of people will allude to the fact, well, I'm married, why do I need community? I have my husband or wife. Now, I want you to know, I don't disagree that your husband or wife are absolutely amazing people. But here's the truth, they're not all things. And the pressure you're putting on them is unrealistic. Because what you're saying to your mate, you need to be all things to me. I don't need anyone else in my life. I've got you. And so you're the only one that I'm going to interact with. That is a dangerous place to be. I know after all these years, you know, not only as a married person, but as someone who's worked professionally with a lot of marriages, that may seem like it's working, but it's a dangerous place to be. Let me tell you something. No mate is all things. But again, we do something very dangerous. We, uh, we deceive ourselves into thinking we've just had community. Because, you know, I talk to my, to my husband or wife. I, I think there's a lot of reasons why we isolate ourselves. Think about it with me. Why do people resist community? It's like we all say, it's important. We ought to do it. Yes, Pat. I mean, I can hear the amens ringing in your brain right now. But yet we don't do it. Why? Why do you think we struggle with and get ourselves isolated? What was that? Shame. shame. Yeah. Shame. Pride. Pride? Yeah. Pride. Shame. What was that? Yeah. Feels wrong. The right thing can feel wrong. Why would it feel wrong? Fear. We're scared. People are scary. I am so with you on that. <laughs> Every time, man, Sunday morning, I am so scared. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> I love people, man. All right. But some of us are afraid. You didn't say it last service had a couple extras. They, last service, they said we're too busy. We don't have time. We're too, I'm sorry. We're too busy. We're shy, reserved. We, 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 we just, you know, go to bed too early. Who's got time? I mean, I can't tell how many people tell me. Well, I, I go to bed at 8 o'clock. 
Who's got time to do community? Now, I don't believe you go to bed at 8 o'clock, but I know that you want to suggest you do. <laughs> Are you with me on this? I mean, how crazy is it that the very thing we believe we want, we find some amazing excuses not to share air, and we don't recognize how we can get ourselves into this crazy place, and now we lose out on the interaction, the interdependence with other people. I'm not asking us to be dependent. I'm asking us to be interdependent, to have conversation, to interact, and to recognize that you have a wealth of resource right in this very room. I mean, I know this probably better than most of you of the, the kinds of wisdom and experience that we have. God's calling us to be this community. God's calling us to let him, and I gotta tell you, one of the chief ways God shapes us for the good is in a community environment. Yes, the Holy Spirit shapes us. Yes, the word of God shapes us. But God also said, iron sharpeth iron. You know, the idea here is a friend. A, a, a partner in ministry, someone which we all share together, can literally dynamically change who we are. It's interesting because I want to address the Philippians here for a second. Just take a couple snapshots of community and what, what the Word of God says. Because it tells us right here, and again, we're talking to a church that was started by the Apostle Paul. He's writing a letter to the, the Philippian church, but into this community. He says, you must live in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And I love this, as citizens of heaven. That's where I got the title, as citizens of heaven. We'll come back to that at the very end. Uh, so then whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, look what he says. This, this hit me as a person, as your pastor. I will know that you are standing side by side, fighting together for the good news. Now I want you to think about what he's saying here. He says, I will know. What he's saying in the Greek, the, the word, if you look it up, I will have confidence and assurance that you are standing Side by side, together in community, fighting together for the good news, for the message of the gospel. In other words, he's saying, you know what? Why would he say fighting together? Because we are in a battle together. And he's saying the best way to do this. And so he says, don't be intimidated by your enemies. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Now, these two privileges are their own discussion. Just note them, would you? Because I think they're huge concepts. The privilege of trusting in Christ, the privilege of suffering for him. But look at how he ends it. Read this with me. We are in this fight together. Okay, one more time. We are in this fight together. The reason I have you read out loud, I want you to hear your own voice say these words. Because this is community. What Paul is saying to the Philippian church, guys, you got to get this. You're great people. Amazing things are happening. This church is really, you know, really a lot of good things are going on. He could be talking to us because we are, a lot of great things are going on. Amazing things are happening every week. Every week, a lot of things are going on right now. People are getting saved. Healing's happening. Marriage is being restored. There are so, I was just listening to testimonies of the small groups. Pastor Ken had a meeting uh, yesterday morning and uh, Mary went and, and, and just, they, they led this great meeting and just hearing some of the testimonies of what God's doing. It is absolutely so cool. And you, you'll hear more of these things down the road. We're in this fight together. But are we? That's what I'm trying to implore to. That's what as your pastor to lead you. I am asking you to think about, are we in this together? Or have we gotten ourselves so busy, so distracted, so into, because actually what the Apostle Paul says, okay, 
This is so important. Let me kind of bring this into focus for you. Now he goes on and he writes in chapter three and he goes, okay, listen guys, here's how important this is. Brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before and I say it again, but look what he says, with tears in my eyes. Now he's writing this and, and if you look at this, there's emotion, there's passion, there's commitment. There's like, this is a really big deal, guys, because how often does he say, I'm writing this? He's saying, literally tears are flooding my eyes right now as I write this down for you. That's a pretty big deal, right? Especially for the Apostle Paul. He says that there are many, there are many whose conduct, conduct, behavior, actions, attitudes, shows that they really are, what a strong statement, enemies of the, of the cross of Christ. Wow. This is a big statement. He says they're headed for destruction. In other words, he's saying they're headed for hell. They're headed for some accident about waiting to happen. And I was thinking, this applies here. They're, they're outside their boundaries. They're not living within God's word. Their priorities aren't correct. And they're going to have an accident. They're going to run out of air. And they don't even realize what's going on. So he says, listen, here's what's going on. Their God is their appetite. Oh, I love that. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. And then he says, but, hold on, guys, we are citizens of heaven. He says it again. He says it several times. Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we, eagerly, and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. And I want you to see this because he used a word here, our Savior, that he doesn't use often, and I'll tell you why in a moment. So I want you to see a couple things here. And again, I'm going to run through a couple of things fairly quick. But I want you to get some ideas here because he's talking about right away discipleship. And you could use the word mentoring. You could put the word shared air here, learning how to share air. And he says, look, there's two things, patterns and examples. Pattern your lives after mine. Now, why does he say that? Talk about, wait, he thinks he's so great? I mean, who does Paul think he is? Yeah, just look at me, live my, I mean, I'm not sure I would want to live Paul's life. I mean, this guy really faced a lot of stuff. He wasn't necessarily the greatest human being in the beginning. Praise God for transformation. Does anyone know that? I bet there's one or two of us here that weren't the greatest human beings in the beginning. And now look at you. You're amazing. Because of Christ. Because of what Jesus has done, right? But what he's saying here is that, listen, you, and here's why he says this. Did they have the New Testament back then? Could they open up a Bible like you can open a Bible? No. Can they turn on a device like you can turn on a device? No. Obviously not. So I want you to understand, the reason he's saying this is because there was no other way to do this. He's saying, listen, it's not that I'm perfect, because he makes that clear elsewhere. He's saying, listen, the only way you're going to figure this out is at least watch me and, and look at what I'm doing and judge it, but live. And he's talking about not so much how you dress. Can you say amen to that? You know, you can, you know, this is not like wearing a uniform, but it is wearing a uniform in terms of your attitude, your thinking, your responding, your decision-making, how you live life. He's saying, listen, this is the way that godly people live life. And so look at how I'm doing things and let you and I do this together. And so there's a pattern here and there's an example. And our example means we have a model and a blueprint. Now we are so blessed because we have the amazing blueprint of God's word. We can turn to it anytime we want. 
We don't have to follow someone. And if we do choose to follow someone, listen, you need to be very careful who you choose to follow. But even better yet is the word of God that we've received. And that's essentially what, what the word of God is communicating to us. The importance that we follow a pattern and that we follow an example. You see, there's this basic principle that jumps out of this. We become like those who we hang out with. There's just no way around this. We become like the people we hang out with. You know that? I can't tell how many times people have said to me, oh, come on, that's not true, Pastor. I'm going to change them. I'm going to influence them. I'm going to motivate them. Boy, I've heard that so many times. And i got to tell you, it doesn't work. Because the reality is, you're going to be influenced and changed. You know, too, too often we make the mistake of hanging out with or we think that we don't, it doesn't matter. When you're exposed to people who aren't living life well, it, it, it will influence you. It will affect you. You know, let me tell you why. Because you're human. And because you're human, you're vulnerable to these kinds of things. That's why we even need Christ more. The whole point of this, we ought to respond, my God, what am I going to do? This is hopeless. It's impossible. How could I ever live? And the answer is Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the believers around us, because now we would come to the conclusion that says, you know, I can't do this alone. Now you'd be right. <laughs> it's interesting that when I think about how important it is for us to be a community, I see the value, and that's why I put the second principle down. Could you go backwards, please? That... Um, uh, we best share Jesus one person at a time. You know where I learned this from? I've learned this in my experience of ministry at this point. I first learned this from my father-in-law, Lois's dad. This guy was a real deal. I wish you could meet him. You would love him. This, this man was someone who served Jesus. Let me just tell you a little bit of his background and give you just a very, very brief example of him. He was in World War II. And he served in the army as a medic. And he served the army in a way that was unique because he refused to carry a weapon. He carried a medical bag. Now, in the army, if you're a medic, you still carried a weapon. You were trained to use a weapon. He refused to do that. He was a conscience objector. But he loved his country and wanted to serve. So it was interesting. He would tell stories because when you're in the army and you're part of the team, you do what everyone else does. So he had to post, he, had a, he was a guard on a post, and he would have to post himself and march wherever the entrance was, guarding the camp without carrying a weapon. They said to him, if you're not going to carry a weapon, you're school going to do what everyone else does. I remember asking him, well, were you scared? I said, yeah. How did you protect yourself? I trusted God. You didn't carry a weapon? No, I carried my Bible. And he wasn't kidding. He carried his Bible. And he survived. So going fast forward, he was one of the medics that was the first one at one of the Japanese prisons that opened its gates and let the prisoners out. He was there greeting the men as they came out for the first time being liberated at the end of the war. And he met them and provided medical care for them. And you know what he told me? And I handed Bibles out. No one refused a Bible. 
It was amazing, he said, what was happening there. Now, you would think, and here's the thought, you would think having had that experience, you wouldn't want to go back to Japan because you'd probably be not thinking good thoughts about, because the Japanese people were cruel to their prisoners. They, I mean, if you read history, they were not very nice. And I can get more detail later. Do you know what's interesting? He was at church shortly thereafter, back in the States, when God called him to go to Japan. So this is my father-in-law. He went back to Japan and served almost his entire adult life starting churches. Today, right now, there are nine thriving churches in Japan that he directly started. Now, he talked about the ministry of Japan because ministering in Japan is a tough job. I said, how did you do it? What's the secret to your success? How were you able to do all this? And he said, okay, this is the secret to his success in terms of building and doing all this. Obviously, Jesus, Holy Spirit, right? Here's what he told me. Here's what you got to do, Steve. Learn to minister one person at a time. He said, I've spent my entire life one person, one couple, one family at a time, and it slowly added up. How powerful is that? Simple. And that's what it means to be in a community, that you and I would gather into a small group, and then we interact one person at a time, one couple at a time, one family at a time. And, we, and here's the thing. It's not just a singular conversation. He was talking about an ongoing conversation that continued over and over and over again. Did everyone receive Jesus that he talked with? No, but a lot of people did. The point is he stayed with them. Here's the mistake we make. We think we have a bunch of little conversations and we're doing it. And that's not what I'm talking about. Not a bunch of little conversations. I'm talking about an ongoing conversation that you believe God's called you to speak into someone's life. And you're willing to be a part of their life and minister to them. Community. God's called us to be a community. Now, Paul is talking about, so what we do and how we live really does matter. And he says, listen, here's the problem. Self-absorption, self-centeredness, and self-entitlement. He says, their God is their appetite. Their God is their appetite. That's the Food Network subcategory. Their God is their appetite, right? I love the Food Network. But how often do you hear them say, it's crazy, watch it, and just think about how often do they say how food is a God? Not in so many words, but you can kind of hear it. Everything can be solved with a good meal. I sort of agree, but you know. <laughs> but what, what the word is writing here is you've got to be really careful about what's really important in you. And what Paul is saying here, he's not talking about food. He's talking about pleasure. Self, the, the idea of being self-absorbed, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. And then they brag about shameful things. They talk about things. I mean, I, it's crazy. I hear Christians brag about how much beer they can drink or um, how drunk they were. I hear them brag about their credentials or their, all their experience. And, and honest, the focus is so much about all these kind of crazy things. I'm going, what about Jesus? How about if we brag about Jesus? But that doesn't happen necessarily. And Paul was addressing believers who were talking all about the things that they were doing. Have you ever talked to someone and they tell the story about their life and it's all about this, this, and this, and you kind of sitting there like, when are we going to hear about Jesus? And I hope our conversations are centered around the Lord. And then there's a self-entitlement. 
They think only about this life. And see, what a crazy thought. Here's what he's saying. We look forward to eternity. Do we live that way? See, here's what I see. This isn't really in the church today. We live for today. We want our, our stuff to be really good today. We're all about today. So we work really hard to have stuff today. And we don't think, because we were thinking about tomorrow and eternity, I'm convinced life would be a little different for us. We'd be getting through things better. We would be buying things differently. We'd be doing things so differently. And I believe a lot of the stress and pressure would be off us because we'd be living for what's tomorrow rather than always focused on today. You know, our hope is tomorrow. We got a great tomorrow. I'm going to be with Jesus. I can't wait. That day's coming. I'm going to die and go be with Jesus. Praise God. So when you're hanging out in, well, don't say quite that timing. <laughs> I said, I'm going to die. He said, amen, too quickly. <laughs> I'm kidding you. But, but that's the reality, isn't it? We're all going to die. And so we should be living with excitement and anticipation. It's like, okay, I'm going to be with Jesus. How cool is that? But we don't live that way. We fight it. We fight it every step of the way. You know, and, and there's something about what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, if you live that way, you're headed for destruction. And he's not just talking about hell. He's talking about living life and not living life well. Because when you don't live life well, you're headed for an accident. And you're going to run out of air, is what Paul's saying. You're going to run out of air. And I just hope there's somebody there to give you another regulator so you can breathe. So he comes to this place here. Come to the next slide, please. And he talks about how important our priorities are. I'm going to say a lot here. Can you just be reminded that God, God first always, and that uh, you know, we seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything. This is repeat. We just talked about this. I wanted you to see this again, because priorities and boundaries are critical. Can you say amen to that? Really, can you say amen to that? Thank you. Okay, why don't you with me? Okay, next slide. We're a colony of heaven. Our citizenship is heaven. Okay, let me talk about this. I want to end with this. This is critical. I want you to get this. This is so cool. He's writing to the Philippian church, to the Philippian community. To, they're like a village, a town. Now, I want you to understand something. Everyone understood this. Because when he wrote what he did and said, we are, our citizenship is in heaven, everyone understood what he was talking about. We don't, though. We don't get it. You got to remember, at the time, the Roman Empire was in charge. And when the Roman Empire conquered you, it was kind of like, in some ways, a good thing. Because when they conquered you, then you got all the benefits of the Roman Empire. Now, it was a bad thing because you got all the benefits of the Roman Empire. So, you know, there's a two-sided coin to it. But what would happen is, is that they would take a city and transform it to look like Rome. So they would build architecture. They would bring customs, laws, uh, their money, economic system. Everything would be brought into that village because they wanted to sort of reproduce Rome in the village. So everyone in Philippi was thinking and understanding, and here's what they're thinking. Man, being a Roman citizen is really a big deal. If you think about it, literally saved Paul's life. You remember when he was about ready to really get beaten really bad? You can't do that to a Roman citizen. If you're a Roman citizen, you cannot flog them, beat them, crucify them. You cannot judge them. There's no court other than one court that can ever convict you. And that's the court in Rome, in front of 
Caesar, who was seen as the Savior. Hence why Paul doesn't use the word Savior very often. Because he doesn't want you to make the mistake and think Jesus is a Savior like Caesar is a Savior. But here he uses this because he wants you to connect with the idea that, you know what? Jesus really is a Savior and that there is a similarity to what happens in Rome because who is it that has the right to judge you? Jesus, because he's our Savior. And where do you make your appeal if something's going wrong? You go to Rome. Because when Paul finally said, hey, late, time out, guys. Remember, he says, I'm a citizen of Tarsus. And they said, so what? <laughs> like, big deal. That's like saying, hey, you know what? I'm a citizen of Kitsap County. Really? And that's supposed to mean something? <laughs> well, wait a second. I'm a citizen of the United States of America. Whoa, wait a second. Time out. That changes everything. Now you're somebody. You're something. Wouldn't you agree that in the world we live in today, being a citizen of the United States is a big deal? That's valuable. Very, very valuable. The same thing was thought of as being a citizen in Rome. And that's why Paul then went to Rome for two years under house arrest before he was tried before Caesar. But here is what Paul is saying. In the same way you all prize being a Roman citizen, in the same way you understand your rights and privileges because you're a Roman citizen, in the same way that you would look forward to and hope for that day when you might become a Roman citizen, and because you see all the benefits around you, you see the architecture, you see the economy, you see the benefit of it, you know what? You ought to feel the same way about being a believer in Jesus. Amen. Because even more so, you're a citizen of heaven. And if you will, you're a colony. You have been planted here by God because everyone in Rome was about trying to get everyone convinced Rome was a big deal. So we should live in a way that we convince everyone that heaven's a big deal. So here's a challenging question. Do you live that way? Do you live in such a way that people want heaven? Do you live in such a way that you become a taste of what could be? Is your life such a flavor that people would see you, watch you, and hear you, and think, man, I want that. I want to be a citizen of heaven. I want the benefits of citizenship. Because there were huge benefits in Philippi if you were a Roman citizen. You could accept slavery. You didn't have to be a slave. You could own property. You could get married. You could, you could, you could have a business. And if you didn't have those things, none of that would happen. Think of all the benefits we have of being a citizen of heaven. All the amazing promises that God has given us. All the amazing gifts and grace that's poured out into our lives. We have been given something that is so cool. But do we live that way? Are we a community? Are we a colony? Are we really citizens of heaven? Can you say amen to that church? Amen. Let's pray.